Thank you for listening to the podcast of Bible Baptist Church. Please visit our website at www.southbaybbc.org for more information. We live in a society that certainly seems more and more schizophrenic. On the one moment, uh, they love you and they adore you and they uplift you. The very next moment, they seem to hate you and they're trashing you on the internet. And uh, it reminds me of a passage in Luke chapter number 4, Uh, in which Jesus returns to Nazareth. So Jesus, of course, grew up in Nazareth, and that's where he's from, right? That's kind of his hometown. He goes back home, if you will, goes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he begins to read a passage from the Bible. He reads uh, from the Old Testament. He reads a passage from Isaiah. After reading the passage, he says, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And the people respond, and the Bible says that they were wondering at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. So Jesus is there in the synagogue. He reads this passage from Isaiah, and he reads it, and he sits down, and everybody's staring at him, looking at him, and he says, this day is the scriptures fulfilled in your ears. And everybody's wondering, wow, like the gracious words, who is this individual? And, And they're kind of wondering at this individual. That would be great if the passage ended right there, but the passage continues, and and, and the Bible records in the book of Luke that Jesus says, Ye will surely say unto me, this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias, When the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elias or Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Eliasis, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, save Naaman the Syrian. So so Jesus reads this passage. He says, this day the scriptures are fulfilled in your ears. And everybody's like, wow, I can't believe, whoa, what are these wonderful words coming out of this man? And then Jesus begins to continue to speak. And you know what the response of the people is? Verse 28, and all day in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him into the brow of the hill whereupon the city was, was built that they might cast him down headlong. So can you imagine the dichotomy of the situation in the one moment? People have gone to the synagogue. It's the Sabbath. So they're there in the, it's in the synagogue. They're hearing Jesus speak. And he says, this day the scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And everybody's like wondering at him. Wow, look, look at what he's saying. Then he continues to talk. And then everybody turns on him and they hate him. And they want to throw him out of the city and they want to kill him. And, and Jesus here, we see, was this, as we continue to get into the book of Luke, was this perfect mixture of both truth and grace. I think that in the society that we live in, there's a imbalance of these two things. We want to give people favor or we want to give people the truth, but oftentimes is the case we don't want to give them both. We either want to give them our favor, we want to be on their side, we want to be with them, or we just want to blast them with the truth. And, and what you'll see is that gra- uh, Jesus was full of both grace and truth. And I want to see how Jesus did that. So first of all, we see that Jesus, you're there in Luke chapter number 16, Jesus had a supreme concern for the truth. As we get into this chapter, 
And we're not going to read all of the verses, but beginning in verse number one, it says, And he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. So here, right at the very beginning of this chapter, Jesus begins to give this parable. He begins to give this story about a steward, a manager of somebody else's finances and their business and how he's, he's basically being corrupt. And basically, Jesus begins with this story of, hey, the truth matters. Doing what's right matters. And, and following the law matters. And, and he begins to give this story. He begins to give this parable. He, he continues down. In verse number 17, he begins to talk about the law. It is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. Verse number 31, he continues, and he said unto him, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, if they hear not the Old Testament, if they're not going to read the Bible and listen to the Bible and believe the Bible, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. So we see that Jesus, as he goes through this passage here in Luke 16, he's emphasizing the word of God, emphasizing the truth, emphasizing what is right. And for us as Christians, it is important for us to hold on to the truth. It is important for us to understand what the truth is, for us to hold on to the truth, and for us to speak the truth, because that's what Jesus did. Amen? Amen. That's important. Acts chapter 4, verse number 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That ought to be the attitude of a Christian as well. We cannot but, but speak the things that we've read in the Bible. I can't deny the experiences that I've had and what God has done for me. John chapter 3, verse number 19 says, and this, this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. So you see, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he emphasizes the importance of the truth, the need for the truth of all people. Some people run from the truth because they don't want their deeds to be revealed, but Jesus said it's important for us to shine the light so that people would see the truth and understand the truth. So before we get any further, we need to think about this. What is the truth? Right? What is the truth? What does it mean when we say that we should speak the truth? Well, John chapter 17, verse number 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. If we're going to begin with the truth, we need to begin with the word of God. Amen? That has to be the beginning point because a lot of people begin with all different sorts of starting points for where they want to go with the truth. A lot of people start with their opinions. Well, this is what I think about the situation. This is what I think about what is right and wrong. Some people begin with their feelings. Well, I feel this way regarding this situation. I feel this way in this situation. Some people begin with their feelings. Some people begin with their observations. Well, this is how I see it. 
Right? You've heard people say that. Well, this is how I see it. And somebody says, well, yeah, I, I mean, I see where you're coming from, but this is how I see it. You know, everybody begins with their, you know, some people begin with their observations. Some people begin with, well, let's hear what somebody else says about the matter. Hey, let's see what the experts say about this and that. Well, if we as Christians are going to have this perfect mixture of truth and grace, it must begin with the truth being the word of God. Amen. That is the starting point. Not only that, Jesus said in John 14, verse number six, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So you see that Jesus, being God, being the truth, there's no way for him to start with any place but the truth because he is the truth. And for us as well, we must begin with the truth, which is the word of God, which of course is Jesus Christ, and we notice the words that he says, I am the way, and the next two words are the truth. A lot of times you'll see people use the phrase, my truth, right? Your truth. There is no such thing as my truth and your truth. Okay, I need to say that again because I only heard one amen, okay? <laughs> There's no such thing as my truth. There's no such thing as your, you can have your experiences and I can have my experiences, right? Those are real things. I have my experience. You have your experience. You have your opinions and I have my opinions, right? We have my observations, your observations, the way that I think about it, the way that you think about it, the way that you would approach a situation, the way that I would approach a situation. You can have your feelings and I can have my feelings. Those are all different things, and you can have all of those things. But Jesus didn't say, my truth. He said, I am the truth. There is such a thing as the truth, and that is what we hold on to. Amen? We if we're going to be that perfect mixture of truth and grace, we need to begin with the truth of God's word being the truth. When we say that we believe the Bible, that is not my truth or your truth or our church's truth. That is the truth. Amen? Amen. So if we're going to go into this idea of truth and grace, we have to begin there. Because 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Matthew chapter 24, and many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So we need to begin with that understanding of what is the truth, where do we find the truth, and how do we approach the truth? Because how did we get into this mess in the first place? You look around and we live in a world full of messes, right? I have a mess within my heart. You have messes within your hearts. Messes in relationships and communities and countries and all of these things. We got a huge mess all around the world. How did we get into that? Well, we got into that mess when somebody denied the truth. Genesis chapter 3. And the woman said unto the serpent, Ye may eat. We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Oh, can you eat of every tree in the fruit of the Garden of Eden? No, we can't eat of every tree. We, we can't do this one or touch it. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. So the serpent comes into the garden and says, What God told you is not true. 
For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So how did we get into this mess in the first place? When Satan denied the word of God, when Eve believed it, and Adam followed into eating of the of fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, when he denied it, when she believed it, and when he acted upon it, we entered into the situation in which we live. So it began with a denial of the truth and the acceptance of that denial, the reception of a lie. So that's where it began. Then we get into, as we get into, we're still in Luke chapter number 16, this potential conflict with the truth. This, this situation where we have to confront the truth. If we allow, as we should, that there is something called the truth that resides not in me or in you or in us, but it resides in the Lord and it resides in his word, there will be times when you and I are not aligned with the word. We are not aligned with the truth. Amen? All right, when we are not aligned with the truth, we call that sin. All right, when we are not aligned with God and with his word. And that's what he gets into in that parable. I mentioned the parable about the unjust steward, but then he gets into it in verse number 10. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give, to, uh, give you that which is your own? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon, or money. So Jesus uses this as an illustration demonstrating the importance of money. What does money have to do with our personal life? I'm actually preparing a series that we'll get into later in the spring regarding finances and money. How should we approach it and think about it? And, 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 and Jesus here is approaching the situation, and he says, you cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve both. You have to choose either God or money. You cannot worship both of us at the same time. Now, we would say to that, amen, right? We would say, yes, of course, that's obvious. God might use our money, and God might bless us with money, and we might use that money to be an opportunity to serve God or whatever, but we would say, yeah, of course. Well, the Pharisees didn't like it, though. They didn't like this story. Verse number 14, and the Pharisees also who are covetous heard all these things, and they derided him. Oh, they did not like this story. You know, people love stories. They didn't like this one, though. <laughs> they didn't like this story because it was about money, and they were covetous, and they loved money. Verse number 15, And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. Why would the Pharisees say, why would they deride him? Why would they make fun of him? Why would they mock him? Why would they speak against Jesus for giving this parable that we would say, yeah, that's fairly obvious, it's because they wanted to justify themselves before men. Why would any of us look at the truth and deny it and not accept it? Why would we do that? We would say we should all accept the truth, right? We should all believe it. We should all align ourselves with it. But why would we not do it? We would not do it if we wanted to justify ourselves, right? If instead of saying God's word is right, we want to say I'm right because I like being right, <laughs> and I don't like being wrong, and you all like being right, and you don't like being wrong, and so sometimes there can be this tension, this conflict of, uh-oh, I've read God's word, and I realize that I was wrong, 
and God's word is right. Early on in my marriage, I had this joke with my wife about whenever there was a conflict, it would just be an automatic robotic response. I was wrong, you were right, <laughs> right? I would say that to my wife. I was wrong, you were right. And there were many times I had to say, I was wrong, you were right. When it comes to the word of God, if there's ever a conflict, it's always, I was wrong. God's word, you are right. Amen? Yeah. All right, we've, we've got to get to that point where we do not deny the truth. Because, of course, many don't want to align with the truth. But truth is not in the eye of the beholder. It's not up for you and me to decide what the truth is and whether the truth is the truth. The truth simply is the truth, and it's up to us to decide whether or not we will accept it or not. Some people want to fight the truth. Some people want to hide from the truth. People want to do all sorts of things. And, and, and so we, we can say that we want the truth, but for us as believers, why would we ever not want to follow the truth? It's because we want to justify ourselves. Well, I want to do what I want to do. I want to do what makes me feel good. I want to do things my way. And I want to follow all of these things. And so for us as believers, we begin with, all right, what is the truth? The truth is the word of God. That's where we begin with all things, okay? And, it's, and, and, and we need to be careful not to inject our opinions or feelings or thoughts or reasons into all of these things. And then we need to decide, okay, have I aligned myself with the truth? And then for us as believers, it's important for us to speak the truth. That's what Jesus was doing. Jesus was speaking the truth, not just for uh, everybody that was going to believe and accept, he was giving it also for the Pharisees. The Pharisees were there listening just like everybody else. And so there can be a potential con consequence if we give the truth because the Pharisees derided him. The Pharisees had a strong negative reaction to the truth that Jesus Christ was giving them. And that can be a temptation for us as believers not to get involved, right? Why bring it up? Why bring it up? It reminds me of when John the Baptist, he was preaching against Herod because he said to Herod about Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife, okay? He said that, okay? I can imagine that his disciples, because John the Baptist had disciples too, I can imagine them saying, John, why'd you have to bring it up? Did you have to say that? I mean, yes, everybody knows it, but don't say it. You're going to get yourself killed. What are you doing, right? I can imagine that. And you can imagine yourselves in a situation today. What are you doing? <laughs> Why are you saying that? Don't you understand the way that people will react and what people will say and how they will do these things? I mean, if you really want to see some really negative reactions, go to the book of Acts, chapter number seven. Here is Stephen. He's one of the first deacons. Just simply preaching the word of God. He's simply giving them the truth. The reaction was, and when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth, and then they stoned him. They killed him that day for giving them the truth. Now, praise the Lord, somebody got saved because of that. Amen? Now, aren't you glad that Stephen did speak the truth that day? Aren't you glad that he wasn't afraid of those consequences? Aren't you glad that we now have like half of the books of the New Testament that are written because Stephen preached the truth on that day. There was a man whose name was Saul. He was a part of the, uh, the he was a Pharisee. 
He heard the word of God. He trusted in Jesus Christ as his Savior later, and he became a great force for good, which leads us then to the second point of, okay, why is it important that we speak the truth regarding some of these things, right? Now, why, why is it important? So we as believers, we believe that God created them male and female, right? Okay, now, why do we believe that? Because that's my opinion? Well, because that's the way that we've always done it, and we just happen to believe that, and our ancestors happen to believe that. Is that why we believe that? Why do we believe that? Because it's in God's Word. I didn't make it up. You didn't make it up. It's from God's Word. Why do we believe it? Because that's what the Bible says, okay? Now, why do we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman? Why do we believe that? Oh, because that's just the way that we've always done it, and that's just culturally how we've done it, but other cultures have things differently, and so that's why they do it this way. Why do we do this, okay? We do that because, well, the Bible says so. Amen? Amen. Okay. Now, and we could go on and on down the line. Creation. Why do we not believe in evolution? Why do we not believe in all of these things? Because... The Bible, okay? We can do all of these things. Now, why is it important that we say all of these things? Why is it important that we believe that a man is a man, born as a man, always will be a man, a woman is born as a woman, always will be a woman? Why do we believe these things? And why is it important that we say these things? Because John the Baptist said to Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy wife, or have thy brother's wife. Why do you have to say that? Why is it important for you to say that? Luke chapter number 15. Okay, we're actually one chapter back. Luke chapter 15 says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. Jesus then begins to give three different parables, beginning in Luke chapter 15. He gives the parable of the shepherd that has a hundred sheep, but loses one of them. So 99 of them are safe, one of them is lost. And he says, what does the shepherd do? He leaves the 99 and goes to find the one, because the one that is lost needs to be saved. That's the parable. Then he continues with another parable. There's a woman that has 10 coins, but loses one. And what does she do? Well, I got nine of them. That's good enough for me. No, she's got to find that one. So she brings out all the lights. She sweeps all the floor until she finds one. And then she rejoices. Then there is the parable of the prodigal son. A man has two sons. The younger is prodigal and becomes lost. He, he runs away and he's lost. Then he returns. These are all parables regarding salvation, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Then in Luke chapter number 16, verse 14, we read this. And the Pharisees also who were covetous heard all these things and they derided him. And he said unto them, Ye are they which justify yourselves before men, but God knoweth your hearts. For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man is pressed into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass than one tittle of the law to fail. Then he begins to get into this parable of Lazarus and the rich man. 
Do you remember this parable? There's this parable of, the, of a rich man and Lazarus. There's a rich man. He had five brothers. Every day he was feasting. Every day was like a vacation. Every day was just a day of rejoicing. There was another man. His name was Lazarus. He was poor. He was a beggar. And he would just sit at the gates just hoping to get any little bit of crumbs or leftovers that he might have in order to feed himself just as far apart as two individuals in life could be, the rich man and Lazarus. The Bible says that both the rich man and Lazarus die. Doesn't matter how rich you are, doesn't matter how famous you are, doesn't matter how successful you are, you're going to die one day, just like the rest of us. And so these two men died, and where did they find themselves? Well, one found himself in Abraham's bosom, the other found himself in hell. Was it the poor man that found himself in hell? Was it the rich man? It was, of course, the rich man found himself in hell. And he looked up and he saw Abraham and he lifted up his eyes and he says, I just want a drop of water. And he said, I can't. We can't even cross to the other side. And then he says, send someone to tell my brothers about this place. Send Lazarus. And Abraham says, we can't do it. We're dead. <laughs> That's basically what he said. We're dead. We can't go back. But even if we could, even if God did resurrect somebody from the dead, if they have not heard and received God's word, neither would they be saved, neither would they believe, even though one rose from the dead. You see this passage from Luke 15 all the way down through to Luke 16, just again and again and again about the lost needing to be saved. The lost needing to be saved. God loves the lost, wants them to be saved. God sees the lost, wants them to be saved. Gave them the scriptures, wants them to be saved. Why is it important that we have a supreme concern for the truth? Because then Jesus gave a saving call from the truth. If we do not accept the truth that we are sinners in need of a Savior, we cannot be saved. Amen? That is why it is important. Sometimes we must speak the truth so that people understand their situation and understand, I am a sinner before God. I have broken God's law. The wages of sin is death. And there is a consequence to my sin. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church. It doesn't matter how, many, how much money that you've given. It doesn't matter how nice you are to people. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. Amen? That is the truth. And that's why it's important that we speak the truth. So that people understand we are sinners. Why did John the Baptist have to tell Herod, it is not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife? Why did he have to do it? He had to do it because what was John the Baptist's message? Remember, from the very beginning, John the Baptist had a message. His message was, repent. Repent. Herod needed to repent just like everybody else. Amen? How is, or what is Herod supposed to repent of? He's supposed to repent of his sin. How is he supposed to know what his sin is? The truth of God's word. The truth that John the Baptist was going to preach. So why is it important for us to hold to the truth? To make a stand for what God has said. Because people need to be saved. Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 26. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth. There remaineth no more sacrifice for sins but a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. 
He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye? Shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace? For we know him that hath said, Vengeance belongeth unto me, I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people." If we reject the truth of God's word regarding our sin and Jesus Christ being our Savior, there is no other end destination other than eternal destruction in hell. That's the truth. That's why we need to speak the truth. That's why we need to talk about things like, what is sin? So that people must confront the truth. So that they must understand their true nature, their sin nature, their situation, their eternal destination, unless they put their trust in Jesus Christ. Which then leads us then to, well, Jesus also had a steadfast compassion with the truth. So Jesus gave the truth, which is, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Jesus also gave himself so that we could be saved, right? Our sin means we cannot have the favor of God. But Jesus died on the cross so that he could pay for our sins so that we could then have the favor of God. So Jesus paid that price for us so that we could have favor with God. Now it is up to us to, say, to see, okay, how can we then have the truth and have grace? So the first part, of course, is if you want to have God's grace, you must receive God's truth, which is that you are sinners. If you receive that truth, if you confess your sins, then you can receive the grace of God, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. Then Jesus, we see through a number of different instances, how he was able to extend grace. And we're going to take a look at a number of different passages. But one of the things that I noted is that his steadfast compassion with the truth, mixing truth and grace was exceptionally personal. One of the things that you notice about Jesus in all of these stories is how he had a personal interaction with somebody. One of the things that you'll notice is that in our world, we live in an increasingly impersonal world, right? We are separated through different layers of different things, like technology is one of them, right? Twitter, famous for all of the things that go on. And people just speak their mind out on Twitter, right? Now, have you ever been convinced by somebody on Twitter, <laughs> right? You ever read something? Oh, that's what they mean. Oh, okay, I was totally wrong. You were right. Nobody ever says that. When somebody reads something on Twitter, they deny what the other person is saying and justify themselves, right? It's not really a great way to have that interaction, but sometimes what you'll see is that people will lamb blast each other on Twitter, and then you see them like maybe they are, you know, part of Congress or this or that or whatever. They, they, sometimes they, they walk up to each other and then they're like, hi, <laughs> you know? Like they, they, they try to be really nice and polite and things like that. And then they go back and then on their phone, you know, they blast each other. Okay, if we're going to extend truth and grace, we need to have a personal interaction with people. Okay, you need to have a, if you want to give somebody the truth, the best way to do it is not through the internet, but through a personal interaction with somebody, with a relationship that you have. Have a conversation with them. Talk with them. Hear what they say. Go back and forth. Understand their reasoning. 
and see, oh, okay, I see why you, why you say that, why you think that. Now, you're still wrong, and here's why, but then you can have that conversation. Jesus had all of these interactions that were very, very personal, and I think that's so important. If you want to raise your kids to love God, you must have a close, personal relationship with them, talking with them about the truth of God's word, talking with them about the grace of God. Ask them, how are you doing in your Christian life? Find out about where they are, where their fears are, where their concerns are, where are they sinning? If you don't have that personal interaction, you can't extend that truth and grace to them. It's like you're just lobbing things over a wall and you have no idea who's on the other side or where they are or how they're, gonna, how they're doing. You're just throwing it. I hope they get this. All right, I hope that they're getting this. I hope that they receive it. You drop them off at church. Well, I hope Brother Richard does a great job over there. Hope that Brother Robbie does a great job. Hope that Mrs. Brooks does a great job. And they do a great job, amen? <laughs> they do a great job. But if you want to extend truth and grace, you've got to have a personal interaction. Look them in the eyeball and ask them, how are you doing today? What are you doing on social media? All right. What, who's your favorite whatever celebrity? Why? How do you know about this person? Who are your friends? Who is this person? Who is he? Ah, oh, it's just a friend. Whatever. Don't worry about it. No, I'm going to worry about it because I want to extend truth and grace to you. All right? So you need to tell me the truth so I can extend grace to you and truth to you if you need it. So you need to have that personal interaction. Jesus had very close personal interactions. Luke chapter 17. Okay, so we're, we've been in Luke 15, 16, now we're in 17. Luke 17 says, then said he unto the disciples, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for them that a millstone were hanged about his neck. And he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. If you're going to give the truth, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. Not everybody will be happy that, that you told them the truth. But notice what he says. Take heed to yourselves. You don't have to worry about how the other person responds. You just have to worry about what you're doing. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Do you notice this perfect balance and mixture of truth and grace? What Jesus said was, if your brother trespasses against you, you rebuke him. If somebody does you wrong, you can walk up to them and say, that was wrong. If it's true, truly wrong. Amen? All right. Now, why are we sometimes afraid to say that? Why are we sometimes afraid to confront the person that is doing wrong? Okay. Sometimes because of the reaction. Okay. Sometimes it's because of that. The other side of that also is... If I give the truth and I say, what you did was wrong, and they repent, what is our responsibility? Forgive. To forgive. The other part can also be equally difficult. The first part of, oh, I don't know, if I say the truth, they might not like it. Well, having truth and grace means, well, maybe not harshly, but gently, you got to give people the truth. Honey, that's not right. Son, that's wrong. Hey, I, I don't think that that's what God wants you to do. Hey, I heard you say this, all of these things. All right, sometimes we need to confront that. Then if they repent, we must forgive. Sometimes we don't want to forgive. Sometimes we want to feel justified. Sometimes we want to hold the hammer. 
Sometimes we want to do those things. But Jesus said, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. So here is this passage where Jesus says seven times a day. If he trespasses against you seven times a day, you know what that entails? Seven times a day, he trespasses, but seven times a day, you've confronted him. Hey, you did that thing again. Why are you doing that? I told you not to do it. That's wrong, okay? That, I, I don't appreciate that. You shouldn't say that kind of thing to me. And they say, oh, I'm very sorry. I'm so sorry I said that. Okay, I forgive you. And then if he does it again, you have to say, hey, I just told you, don't do that. I, I, I'm sorry, I, I, I. Seven times a day, day after day after day, every time, if we're going to hold to truth and grace, every time you notice Jesus is implying you confront with the truth, but on the other side, if there's repentance, you forgive every time. That's the mixture of truth and grace. If a person is willing to repent, then we must be willing to forgive. A lot of times, the reason why people don't want to confess is because they've seen in us an unwillingness to forgive. If they ever sense, oh, this person is going to hold a grudge, this person will not truly forgive me, then they will not confess. You know why? They've lost hope of receiving forgiveness. They've lost hope of that restoration. I can confess it, but instead, if they get mad and angry and then they start blasting me, well, I don't want to do that. So how can we both give truth and grace? What we can do is say, hey, what you did was wrong. Hey, the Bible says that you should stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop going to those websites. Stop hanging out with those people. It just it simply gets you in trouble. You're doing these things. You're saying these things. You're believing these things. You're acting this way. Stop doing those things. And then on the other side, oh, I'm so sorry. I, then we should forgive them seven times in a day if necessary. So that's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus is uh, uh, commanding for us to do because this comes on the heels of the Pharisees deriding Jesus. Now we know that the Pharisees didn't like Jesus and we know that Jesus continually preached against them. If any of them asked for forgiveness and said, Jesus, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Has Jesus ever said no? Of course not, every time he said yes. That's why he's the perfect mixture of truth and grace. We also notice that steadfast compassion with the truth excludes a pretending. So in Matthew chapter 15, verse number 21, Jesus is now out of Judea. He's also out of uh, uh, Galilee. He's in the coast of Tyre and Sidon, okay? So he's kind of briefly out of the country, along the coast, the Mediterranean coast. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with a devil. But he answered her not a word. Isn't that interesting? Here is somebody saying, Jesus, the son of David, the Messiah, the promised one, the prophet, come heal my daughter. And Jesus ignores her. And his disciples came and besought him saying, send her away for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. 
Now, I don't know about you, but the, the first reaction that I get from reading this passage is, it kind of feels like Jesus is being harsh, doesn't it? Here's a woman, has a need, just like all the other people, and says, oh, my, my daughter is demon-possessed, can you help me? And Jesus ignores her. And the disciples are like, Jesus, can you do something, please? She's, she's, she's coming after us now. <laughs> we don't know what to do. Please do something, just so she, we can get rid of her. And he says, I'm not sent, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she comes again, Jesus, Lord, help me. And then he says, it is not me to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. Okay, that sounds very, very mean. And she said, what's the next word? Truth. You know what she was doing? She was pretending like she was somebody else. You know the phrase, the son of David, is a very Jewish phrase, right? Because it's from the Old Testament, right? We know about the prophecies of the Messiah. We know about the prophecies, the son of David, that it will go through the lineage of David. What is a Gentile who doesn't believe the Bible or worship God or accept the scriptures, what does she have to do with saying, Oh, thou son of David. You know what she's doing? She's like, oh, I heard about this Jesus, and he's healing all of these Jewish people. I'm going to pretend like I'm Jewish so that I can get the same thing as everybody else. But of course, Jesus knows the truth. She wasn't Jewish. She was just pretending. She was trying to be somebody she wasn't. And it wasn't until Jesus called her out and said, you're acting like you're Jewish, but you're not. And she said, truth, you got me. I'm not Jewish. But don't I deserve something? Right? Isn't that what she's saying? She's saying, okay, it's true. But can I still get some grace and favor? Can I still get something? And Jesus said, I'll give you something. You know what Jesus did right there? It sounds mean at first, but this is that I'm not going to let go of the truth. Woman, you're pretending like something that you're not. And until you acknowledge who you really are, I can't give you grace. I can't give you grace because you're not accepting the truth. You're not acknowledging the truth. And until you do, I can't give you anything. But the moment that she does, she's not Jewish. But when she acknowledges, you know what, Jesus, I'm not Jewish, but don't I deserve something? Can't I get something? Can't I get some grace? Jesus says, yes, you can now that you've acknowledged the truth. So one of the things that is true for us as believers as well is we must have a steadfast hold on the truth. We can't just ignore things and just say, oh, you know what? It doesn't matter. We'll just give it. No, we have to make sure, okay, if the truth matters, we have to hold on to the truth. But the moment people acknowledge the truth, we can extend to them as much grace as Jesus gave grace. Amen? Both of these things can be true. John chapter number eight. A steadfast compassion with the truth also encourages purity. John chapter 8, verse number 1 says, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came with him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. What sayest thou? Okay. So they caught a woman in the middle of committing the act of adultery and threw her on the ground in front of Jesus and said, 
she's guilty of adultery. We caught her in the middle of it. Moses says somebody caught in adultery should die by stoning. But what do you say? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. Because if he says, well, I'm going to hold to the law and have her stoned, then people will say, oh, but Jesus, that's so harsh, that's so cold, you're uncompassionate. But on the other side, if he lets her go, people will say, well, you're not holding to the law of Moses, right? Either they're trying to catch him in this conundrum of either you can hold to the truth and have her stoned, or you can extend grace but ignore the truth, okay? Now, you and I would stumble over a situation like this. I, I don't know what to do. Jesus, though, being the perfect mixture of truth and grace, does this. Verse number six, but Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground and they which heard it being convicted, uh, being convicted by their own conscience went out one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. What exactly is going on here? Doesn't it sound like Jesus just completely ignored the law here? Didn't we just read that Moses said, If you're caught in adultery, you should get stoned, right? But here's what you and I would stumble over. But Jesus, being the word, knew exactly all of the potential loopholes, how to close those loopholes, and how to use the exact law in order to extend grace. So here's the law as it's given. At the mouth of two or three witnesses shall he that is worthy of death be put to death. But at the mouth of one witness he shall not be put to death. And the hands of the witnesses shall be first upon him to put him to death. And afterward, the hands of all the people, so shalt thou put the evil away from among you. So here is the law. The law says you need at least two or three witnesses in order to condemn somebody to death. And not only that, the people who caught the person saw it for themselves. They are the first to cast the stones. They are to begin the execution process. Everybody else then, as kind of participants in justice, will say, okay, this person has broken the law. This is what the law demands. We will execute judgment there, okay? So that's what the law says. Jesus, though, writes on the ground, and they press him. Hey, what are you doing? Come on, give us an answer. He stands up and he says, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone. What he's saying is, remember the law? The law says the witnesses shall be the first ones to do it. Now, Notice that this woman was caught in adultery, but it was just a woman. Where's the man? Okay, so there's a man. There's the Pharisees that broke in about. They are the first ones that are supposed to participate. And Jesus knows that. He knows their guilt. And he says, if you guys, you witnesses, you claim to be witnesses, if you want to cast a first stone, go ahead and, and, and reveal your sin. They don't want to, and so they walk away. And Jesus says, where are thine accusers? You know what he's saying? you're condemned to death, you need at least two or three witnesses. Where are the witnesses? And the woman says, there are none. And so he says, well, you're, the law doesn't say that you should be put to death because you don't have any witnesses anymore. There are no more accusers. 
So Jesus, being perfectly truthful and also holding grace, holds to the law exactly. But then notice the very end of that phrase. Jesus knows that she still committed adultery. But notice what he says. Go and sin no more. The mixture of truth and grace does not enable people. It's not an enabling. When we hold truth and we extend grace, it's not an enabling. When we enable to continue to go into sin, that's not the mixture of truth and grace. Jesus, when he extended grace to this person, looked her in the eye and said, I know that you're guilty, but go and sin no more. See, that ought to be the response. When we have acknowledged the truth, God, I'm a sinner. God, the wages of sin is death. God, you have died on the cross. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, you have saved me. The reaction to that truth and grace of being saved ought not to be, hey, now I can go free. I can do whatever I want. The reaction ought to be, God, you've been so merciful and gracious to me. I don't want to go back into that anymore. Oh, God, you've been so good to me. I, I don't want to commit those things anymore. It ought not to be an, an, an enabling to go back into sin. There ought to be some fruit of repentance that draws us to say, you know what? Wow, look at what happens in the changed life of somebody who receives truth, accepts the grace of God, extends it to other people. I want some of that as well. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus held to the truth. That's why you and I can boldly proclaim what the truth is. There is such a thing as a man and a woman. There is such a thing as uh, what is right in terms of marriage, when it comes to abortion, when it comes to all of these things, we can say, hey, this is what the truth is. Now, if somebody wants to come and have a conversation, we can have a conversation. We can also extend grace. If somebody acknowledges, you know what, I was wrong in that, then we can, we can accept them. We don't have to continually bash them over the head and, and cast them aside and kick them to the other side. We can say, you know what, if you're willing to accept the truth, then welcome to the truth. <laughs> welcome to the truth. And if you will accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you can be saved. And then we can continue to extend mercy, grace, and truth to those. Now, where does all of that begin? All of that really begins here in the church. I know that there's a lot of things outside, but when it comes to truth and grace, it needs to begin here in the church. Amen? Okay, so what, that, what does that mean? What that means is, as Christians, we should be able to speak the truth here, right? If we can't say the truth here, we're not saying it out there, <laughs> right? We have to say it here. You know what? If there's a brother who's in sin, it's okay for you to go up to them and say, brother, what are you doing? Do you not see what the Bible says? It's okay for us in love to do that. Amen? Amen. But also on the other side to say, but you know God is a God of grace. Amen? If you will repent of your sins, he will forgive. And I will forgive. And we will all forgive. And that's the place where we learn, okay, this is how mercy and grace and truth all coexist. Because if we're not willing to give the truth here, then what are we even doing? What are we even doing? We should be able to say, you know what? This ought to be the place where truth is freely proclaimed. Hey, let's not come into church and be like the, the woman of Tyre and Sidon, the Canaanite woman, and pretend like something that we're not. We could come 
and find a good brother or sister and just say, hey, you know what? I, I just need to share some things with you. If you had something against somebody else, being able to confront the other person and say, you know what, I did something, I said something that was wrong. Being able to receive forgiveness, do all of those things. Develop that practice here within the church of truth and grace. Beginning, of course, with we must develop that attitude of extending grace and then being able to share the truth and grace with others as well. So Jesus was able to do those things. And if we'll be able to grow in those things as well, how much better will we be able to help others?